0: Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Fascinating when you talk with people and and you learn about their lives. I believe everybody has a story. We all have stories. His story is pretty fascinating in that he is a well-established architect in the New York City metro area and has been for decades. But even before that, he was a tennis pro. And playing among some of the greatest players on the planet and still have, those people still have that stature. And uh, we're going to learn more about his his early years in the tennis side today. I'm talking about architect John Riggio, and he's on the program with us. Hey, John, how you doing?
1: Good. Yeah, Hi, Steve. How are you?
0: Well, well, I don't even know where to begin here. I, the, I think last time we left off, we were talking about how a lot of tennis or sports professionals like actors have stand-ins and i never realized that um can we go back to that right now
1: yes so i was waiting for some news broadcast about people having stand-ins willing to really to show it in the news and i was able to find a very nice article this is an article that came up on the internet and uh, it shows a number of people and i see one of them here is it shows bruce willis with his stand-in he looks very similar, mm. and he has him doing all kinds of things. And then there's another one with here, Andrew Garfield, shows his stand-in. Wow, that looks and This article like a... is very good. It shows about, like, ten of them. Mm. I see the article's written by Sarah Milano, and she has a lot of them showing all different actors, entertainers, and uh, some of them describe, I saw one of them was describing um, how the – Stand in used to do all kinds of things, getting on stage, everything like that. <clears throat> so they are willing to to show that they had a stand in, and it doesn't seem to affect their career. It, it shows that he they, they had a stand in, and the so that that I think is very good, and that that just shows what I was talking about as far as in tennis when I reached a certain level. At that point, was at my twenty six and a half million dollar contract that I was able they were able to make a, a stand in for me. So
0: is... tell me why they would have a stand-in. Now, I get I get in the you know the actor arena. Like even Will Smith said in the last week that he confessed that okay, I'm I don't drive the car in in typically in some of the scenes that you see me in. Uh, I th- I know a lot of y'all thought I was driving it, but I'm not. You know, he has a stand-in for that. Um and I could see there you know safety issues, you know certainly uh stunt stunt people uh you know stand in for actors because it can be dangerous on the tennis side why why would they have a stand-in for you
1: It's very similar at a certain level with the tennis the stand-in would make appearance appearances maybe even make uh work as like a spokesman answering questions things like that and uh, and that is really what the stand-in was doing so he, I, it, it
0: almost sounds like john where you can't be in two places at once so you know you, you could have a stand-in in california you could be playing in, in in japan and it's just that you know to get that publicity out there is that part of it as well
1: yes it is yes, okay. yes it's really part of advertisement and showing that i'm a player in, in different areas and uh, that's exactly what the standing is for.
0: Wow! So they they had one for you. That's super cool. <laughs> I mean, the fact you, you reach a certain level. I need a Steve stand. Then I get you know, I, probably not. But you reach a certain level where they need that so that they can propel the sports star out there. Wow. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Um, how about the in terms of the level of playing, pro tennis playing levels. You mentioned that uh, briefly, but let's go back into that. There's a certain level. They give you a certain number to, uh, to demonstrate You know what level playing you're
1: at. Yes. So when I was playing tennis, the maximum number of levels you could reach is level 12. I think most people are used to playing level 0 to 5. That's most people playing 0 to 5. That's like club level tennis. <clears throat> but if you were an excellent player, a lot of times when you were young, players start to go above level five, you go to level five and a half. And if you can make level five and a half is when you are eligible to play in the national tournament. So a level five and a half, Now, even if you make five and a half, you still have to win to enter into the national tournament. But usually five and a half is really the start of, of playing higher level tennis, getting into what they call national tournament level tennis. Then if you can make it past five and a half, between like five and a half and level eight, you start moving through those levels. Those might be junior level tennis playing under 18. And then uh, to to get into the the pros, you really have to really play above level eight. You have to get to level eight. They prefer you to really just get to like level nine and the playing level. And what they do with the players when usually when they're young is you can start playing, maybe heading up through level seven, eight, and if you show that you are going to improve in a very quick time, maybe only in two months time, you can continue playing in the in the pro tour and the hope is that you would then continue on to level nine. And then then it gets more difficult. then the next levels are trying to get to level 10. 11 and 12 and uh now with my playing i was able to achieve to get to level 12. But it it's very difficult and very few players can get to that so a lot of the, the players playing pro they might be coming in playing you might see them playing at level eight then maybe level nine and uh, then as you advance going up into the rankings getting into the top 500 group you want to try to get to like level 10. And it's like level 10 if you can start to play in the top of the group you're going heading into level 11 and then the very few top players would get to like level 12 tennis and wow. that is and these are the same levels that are really most people will play in a the club they play starting off with no knowledge of tennis you just play over level zero and then if, as if you were playing through the rankings a lot of people like to play to level three Level three is a is a popular level of playing. Just club level tennis, playing level three. Then, if uh, usually if you get to level four and a half, is another sort of level that is really a, a, a really a solid, excellent tennis player. Like a lot of people, when they're older, they come back to playing tennis. If you could play level four and a half. You're playing excellent tennis. You're really an excellent wow. tennis player. And they have little tests for each level too. There's tests for each level. And um, I think in the club level, then they have like level five would be like an expert player. But then, like I was saying, if you're usually younger players, if you can achieve past those levels, past level five, then you're heading into really heading towards where you, you could potentially become a pro. Where you're getting into five and a half is really called the national tournament level tennis and uh, then the whole thing is depends on your playing ability. You have to play and win matches, too, is another thing. And, and, and you have to win enough matches in like a percentage to really start to advance to move up. But wow. that, is, that is really how the levels go. I think it has a lot of, to do with uh, the player's ability. You can't really force moving up in the rankings too hard. You couldn't hurt yourself. You have to really continue to improve your playing slowly. To move up, and and the goal was really to
0: get to level twelve. Hmm. Wow, uh, that's got to make you feel good when you attain that certain level. Do they tell you what level you're at? Is that how it works, or it's just the rankings, the number of games you won uh, or matches? How does that? How is the level determined?
1: The levels are determined by small tests, and also if you were to play with a tennis instructor. From you hitting each different kind of uh hit on the court, they could look at the the, the different uh, uh ways you're hitting the ball and they could determine a certain number. And that is so you'd start off with no knowledge you're level zero, then usually you move very slowly level one, level one and a half, two, two and a half, three, and um. I think most most people everyday players are playing like uh, we play level three, and then when you get a little over three, you're becoming a little more advanced. Three and a half, four, and then four and a half is is another good level. That's a solid level of playing, but that has to do with tests. They give you tests. You can go to any tennis center, and they can they can test your ability, and they can write down on a piece of paper your uh, your level of playing. And they give you that gives you a, a ranking, gives you an idea of how good you're playing, and from there you would you would move up. I think when I was when I was younger, usually tennis overall, pro tennis, even national, tournament, they're not putting anything in writing, unless it's uh, a coach's personal writing. He puts on his notes that he would have, but otherwise they don't really put too many things in writing. A lot of things in tennis. They would usually just tell you, and you would use to just use your memory to to no, memorize all those different things that they tell you. So that is uh, yeah. one interesting thing about tennis. And I think one one thing about the, the national tournament that I was interested to, to tell you about, this is the national tournament. Uh, when I got to that level, there are different tracks within the national tournament. Even with the national tournaments, they have the amateur track which might lead to the Olympics. And they have the pro track, which is really professional players. And I was already a professional player. So when I was playing the national tournament, I was already on the pro track for professional players. And um, there's a lot of things with the national tournament. Nothing's in writing. Uh, they, If I was to meet for a match, the, the coach there from the national tournament, there were two of them at the time. And uh, he would just tell me what day and time we're going to meet? If I'm going to play one matches or two matches, I had the ability back then to play two national tournament matches in a row. So I was I was playing, I was still playing a lot of matches, and I usually I would go there on Saturday morning to play the Nash, the matches. And but uh, and then there was they had matches like uh, sort of like flex matches to stay to stay in in sort of like stay in shape and and keep your playing good, and a lot of those were even done with. Uh, you, they suggested having like one of those telephone beepers, so they can even just call you and and tell you on the phone, just verbally where the where the matches are. So they would call me on the phone, and they would tell me where the match is, and I would go and I'd play the match just for just for to to stay in shape. It was that that wasn't part of the the main part of the national tournament. It was just uh, extra matches that you could play and they even had things like that they they had to keep a secret too the uh, national tournament overall is very similar to pro playing they had the different tracks in the national tournament but they they had the same problem with people coming over and um wanting to cause problems with the with the national tournament playing you know
0: so every- I, I love this your passion for this john and you know even you've you've Done your day, you've you've played, and you hear about another match just to stay in shape, you know, whether they beep you or whatever it was back then, and you go and play because that's what you love doing. You just love it so much. Like, yeah, I'm going to go play another one, but I'm going to go play another one. Yeah, I'm tired, but I'm going to play another one because it's so important to you, right?
1: Yes, yes, of course, yes. And, and playing with the National Tournament, of course, at that time it was, it was a pro tournament, and the National Tournament at that time uh, for for my track led to the Davis Cup. Where I had described I was already number one U.S. player going into the Davis Cup. No. Now during this during those set of matches, I had described um, Dorothy Hamill and my girlfriend Delilah watched one of my matches. I think the the only thing about uh, Delilah and Dorothy Hamill they're very similar. They're good friends, like sisters. But um, oh, in fact, my girlfriend Delaida was was taller. She was more like five foot ten, and I I just checked the bio on Dorothy Hamill, she's a little shorter. Mm. But what happened is, from watching me play, I think Dorothy Hamill really liked this tennis playing I was doing, and she was already told a lot about it. So she had her friend um Kenneth Forsyth come, and they set up a match for me, and I and I played her friend playing tennis. Of course, I won the match, but it was really good, and they were able to really get an idea of my playing ability, too, firsthand playing with me. They're, they're both athletes. I mean, they're both athletes. And so they really like this kind of thing, you know, because the, they're already involved with competitive athletes. So when they, uh, I was able to play a friend, it, uh, they really get a, an idea of my playing ability. And, and And this whole thing was really becoming real to them because Delilah was already telling them about my playing ability and my tennis. So playing with me personally and things like that. So that is one thing that happened. That was very interesting. So, that, so they got an idea and they really believed my tennis playing was, was excellent and I was continuing to play for a while.
0: Mm. How about Japan? Let's go back there. You, you played a lot in Japan. They At one point, they had a lot of players on their team.
1: Yes, even though Japan was the lead team and and the Mitsubishi w- was thinking about buying the contract at the time and, and looks like it was it was going ahead. But they had all the players from the Pacific. And I think there was another team, I think it was Indonesia, that they sent in three busloads of players. So so if Japan had just one busload of players, they had three busloads of players. And I played all the players. And I remember one of their team members was commenting that I uh, I played all three busloads and I didn't lose any matches. They they were laughing about it, so it's <laughs> good. They they didn't get angry about it. You know, they didn't get frustrated, or angry about it. But they were laughing about it. They were really impressed. So that is one thing. So they really. So Japan didn't have the largest team. So I think it was Indonesia had the largest team of three busloads. I was.
0: I have a question about this. So you're playing Asian players. Obviously, I'm guessing you don't speak their language. Is there ever been a challenge in terms of language barriers or that's the way sports works? We have the rules established and you just show up on the court and you play them and it's the body language. You know, after you win, maybe you shake somebody's hand or whatever it might be. Um, Was there ever any kind of like language barrier?
1: It turns out with the teams from the Pacific, I was playing with them, and almost all of them that I communicated with, they all were able to speak English. So it was, so it was very good. All the wow. different teams they did speak some English. Wow! The things you learned. thing with the other teams at Southern East, uh, I was playing all kinds of different teams. Players came from around the world. They all were able to speak some English.
0: Interesting. And why? Why would they be able to speak English? Why was that a it, was it one of those things where if you're going to be playing tennis internationally that, hey, guys, you, you need to learn to you know, speak English as one of the languages, you know,
1: under your belt? Yes, I think that's what it is. Yes, they were speaking English. Yes.
0: Hmm.
1: It was important for them to speak English. So uh, almost all of them had the ability to communicate with me.
0: How about the U.S. Tennis Center? I know that uh, you spent a lot of time there. Why don't we go back to the U.S. Tennis Center and, and what happened? Well, maybe some things that we didn't talk about.
1: Yes. So, with the tennis center, I told you about some previous players that the the National Tennis Center in Flushing. There was something going on at that particular location where they were they were giving some people, um, uh, sort of like of uh, some blocks of really getting through and playing in their in their tournaments in the U.S. Open. And I think uh, uh, one of them was Brian Godfrey, Then it was uh, Brad drew Witt, and uh, then it was myself playing there even though i had my own court 33 for a while there and and things were going good um uh then then i told you about the australian team having enough at that point and they left they brought their ranking all the way to australia and uh but after that years later i talked to john John eisner he's a professional title player i think uh, he's well advertised and he's really the next U.S. player to really go through the National Tennis Center, and I had talked to him, uh, uh, at networking, and uh, yeah, he he had he was the one who who was telling me that that really he was like the next player going through there, and I think he was able to continue making some progress playing in the National Tennis Center. They yeah. they weren't able to wound things on him, and he continued to play and. I think so. So things each generational player, whatever the stops were, they were able to continue to to get in there and and, um, weren't able to really bother their career too much. So that is so I am
0: like like you from the New York area. Just coincidence. Um, Is the U.S. tennis center still there? Or if not, what is it?
1: yes the national tennis center located in flushing is still there wow all those improvements are going there i I think i i passed by there and i saw they they put a big uh cover over one of the stadiums they had there Hmm. and i think one interesting thing about the stadiums just to get an inside report is i was talking to some of the the pro tennis players and most of the stadiums they're really being used by amateur tennis players they aren't being used by the top pros like even even when I got word from different people, like Ross Perot, and um, even the Japanese team, saying that the things like the stadiums were not really in the important thing with tennis. That isn't the main thing about tennis. Wow. In fact, the the, tele, the televised matches seem to be more important. Uh, you know, getting onto ESPN is much more important. Wow. But the the thing with the the stadiums what I was told on on the inside of what's going on is um mostly the amateur leagues are using the stadiums they really like using the stadiums I think even though even though they were saying I was building the stadiums when I was there they were renovating and building new stadiums they um it's usually the amateur leagues were using the stadiums I I don't know why but somehow they they like to use the stadiums the most
0: well maybe it's because it's just a you know psychologically it's kind of exciting to be in a big stadium uh even though you're you know at the amateur level when we say amateur what do we mean
1: you know is this that's just like if that's like if you just played regular usta tennis okay gotcha in fact i played some usta tennis when i came back uh, after i was 39 years old and and uh yes yeah, playing that inside in the, in, the, in the tennis wow thing and everything they have the tournaments and all kinds of things
0: see i never knew that so they you know learn something new here so we're talking you were playing tennis when you were in your your 20s um and that's centering everything here but so you're saying you came back after and you played tennis when you were in your upper. i did yes
1: yes years later uh after i was 39 um what happened was uh yeah, I got back playing because my daughter, my daughter, we were at the at the park, and I was able to, to find my way into playing tennis again.
0: Wow. All right. And I know, you know, we've talked before that you still play tennis occasionally, or maybe every weekend, you still teach it. So it's, I, I guess it's one of those yes. things that it's, it's in your blood. <laughs> you
1: can't get rid of it. Yes, I'm still, I'm still teaching tennis. And this week, I taught some players again this, this week, I'm still teaching tennis. Wow. And uh, so I did, I did that little thing of playing at the US Tennis Center again, and, um, so but it's very well organized as far as the players. They they have uh some basic leagues there that you could still play. And uh but it goes under the USTA. The USTA isn't really the same as the ATP or the ITF. There's a two different leagues. So I I,
0: I want to know if you think this, but yesterday in the New York area, we, we broke a record. It was you know in the mid-sixties and I'm outside walking around for a moment, walking my dog. And the first thought I had is I would love to be out here playing tennis with my daughter. And we, you know, I think I shared with you, I play like when it's warmer out, maybe, you know, twice a month. Um, Do you get that feeling? Like when it's warm out, do you think like, oh, you know what? I wish I, I wish I was playing tennis right now (laughs) When when it's nice out.
1: Yeah, yeah, usually, uh, usually over 60 degrees people are back outside on the court. Yeah. I, I this is from years of having my, my tennis group here, and I notice each year as soon as it turns 60 degrees, everyone's coming back on the court. If it goes under 60 degrees, everyone, they don't bother to come outside. It's getting yeah. too cold for them. Yeah, uh, honestly. But I I, so I did set up the indoor tennis this year. I played some indoor tennis in Staten Island. They have it over at the, um, Staten Island community tennis has the bubble there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I did have the indoor tennis available for the winter. So that was something new I was doing this year. It's a very nice tennis bubble. They have there with some to- courts.
0: Yeah. I, I'm I'm sure it's great, but it's, it's probably not the same as being outside. It's just something about, you know, being in the fresh air and just moving around with the breeze and everything. And, you know, um, I'm at this level in terms of tennis, you're like, you know, at the ceiling, uh, but it's still kind of fun. John, always great talking with you and just, you know, learn so much and just your history and history in general, because we're talking about some of the you know top players in the, in the world. Uh, always a pleasure. Everybody, John Riggio is the website, john, riggi And of course you can find John on YouTube, lots of videos up there and some uh, new videos too. Uh, that that address uh, your architecture as well. I appreciate you, John. Thanks for being here, we'll talk next time. Okay.
1: Thanks, Dave. Good talking to you.
0: You too. We'll be right back. <music> Broadcasting from the business capital of the world. This is the Podcast Business News Network.
1: Adopt Us Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting.
0: Your daughter just had her first breakup. <laughs> Do you a put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, sh- she has split
1: ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. It's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D,
0: help her find a new boyfriend.
1: I know a great place to meet boys. The internet.